Good morning. So today I'm reading from Isaiah 11. There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse, and a branch from his roots shall bear fruit. And the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. And his delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. He shall not judge by what his eyes see or decide disputes by what his ears hear, but with righteousness he shall judge the poor and decide with equity for the meek of the earth. And he shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth, and with the breath of his lips he shall kill the wicked. Righteousness shall be the belt of his waist, and faithfulness the belt of his loins. The wolf shall dwell with the lamb, and the leopard shall lie down with the young goat, and the calf and the lion and the fattened calf together, and a little child shall lead them. The cow and the bear shall graze, and their young shall lie down together. And the lion shall eat straw like an ox. The nursing child shall play over the hole of the cobra. And the weaned child shall put his hand on the adder's den. They shall not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain, for the earth shall be full of the understanding, the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. In that day, the root of Jesse, who shall stand as signal for the people, of him shall the nations inquire, and his resting place shall be glorious. This is the word of our Lord. Morning, everyone. Give me one quick second. It's good to be here today. Uh, glad to be with you uh, for joining us online, and we're uh, we're going to hear from the Lord this morning. I'll tell you a, a brief story uh, as we begin. Uh, in May of 1980, Mount St. Helens erupted in Washington State. It was the largest recorded eruption in North America, destroying almost everything for hundreds of miles, even, even melting away all the soil, uh, leaving, leaving bare rock and hardened lava. The Forest Service workers in the area wondered when, if ever, livestock and vegetation would be able to be brought back to the area. But one day, uh, one day a, a park ranger noticed a lush patch of grass and wildflowers growing on the barren rock. It took him a minute to notice the shape that these things were growing in. They were growing in the exact shape 
of a moose. Plants had sprouted from the organic material left from an animal buried in that ash. This unlikely scenario is reminiscent of the story that we read today uh, in the Bible, life from a dead stump. Let's pray. Father God, we come to you today in Jesus' name. Uh, Lord, you say that where two or three come together in your name, there you are in their midst. And so we welcome you this morning. God, would you anoint our ears to hear your word? Would you anoint my lips to speak your word? And may we see Jesus in these, in these passages. Would you make us more and more into the men and women of God, the people of God that you want us to be? In Jesus' name we pray this. Amen. So today as we talk about this passage, I want us to notice three things. First, that God is faithful to keep his promises and fulfill his purposes. Secondly, we have seen his promised redeemer and he ushered in a new way of life. And third, that he is coming back and will usher in an eternal kingdom of righteousness and peace. So we're in week two of the Advent season as we celebrate the original coming of the promised King and Redeemer of God. And we, we remember what his coming brought. As we talked about last week, we lit the candle of, of hope. This week, the candle of peace uh, with a reading from Isaiah chapter 11. Now, it, it's so helpful as we read the biblical stories to understand the context and to understand where the story that we're reading fits in redemptive history. I'll try to do this relatively quickly, but when God created the world, it was very good. The heavens declared the glory of God. Adam walked with God in the garden, and Adam and Eve were prospering in the garden. Adam and Eve, sorry, but, but Adam and Eve are tempted by the serpent, and they rejected God, and they brought a curse into the world. Our relationships with God would be broken, would be separated by our sin. Our relationships with one another would be, would be strained. And our work would be difficult. And by the sweat of our brow, we would eat bread. There would be no peace but struggle. And we would die. We would die both physically and spiritual death. But as God's announcing these curses to, to Adam and Eve... He gives a promise to Eve that one day someone from her family line would come and do battle with the serpent and destroy him and destroy sin and death, the consequences of their sin. Well, people continued in our rebellion and God continued to show both his wrath and his redemption. But it's into this rebellion that God chose a man, Abraham, to be his chosen one. He would make him a great nation, and God would bless Abraham, and Abraham would be a blessing to the world, showing people who God is. And from Abraham's line, all the nations of the world would be blessed. God's promise to Abraham continued through his son Isaac and his grandson Jacob. Jacob has 12 sons who are the 12 tribes of Israel. One of those sons, Judah, becomes prominent 
And through him, there would be a king who would rule in righteousness. King David is a son of Judah. And he's a man after God's own heart who rules well. He's flawed, but he's repentant. He shows people, his life shows people who God is. And God promises David that there will be a king from his family forever. But shortly after David's life, the kingdom is split into, into Israel to the north and Judah to the south. And years of misery ensue. They both neglect to be faithful to God. They both reject their call to, be, to show people who he is. And much of the Old Testament is these nations being rebellious and God using prophets to call them out for their sin, to call them back to him, and to warn of judgment, uh, to warn of God's judgment if they don't. So our reading today in chapter 11, in Isaiah chapter 11, is a hope-filled vision of a great leader growing out of a dead tree stump who would rule the world by the power of God springing to life out of a barren stump. As we all walked in this morning, uh, we walked past a dead stump of a tree. Just to the side of our driveway, uh, a few weeks ago, there stood a giant tree that from the outside looked, looked like a, a normal healthy tree. Um, as you can see from the stump, it's completely rotten. And I want you to notice as you go out, as you leave, notice the tree stump that's out there. The entire inside is hollowed out. Disease had set in. Insects had eaten away at the inside of that tree. And there was no real lasting life in that tree. And so for the sake of our neighbor's safety and for our, our, uh, our name, we had a responsibility to cut that tree down. And now what's left is a a dead, empty stump. So I want you to remember that as you, as you hear the, the images in this story. So we read chapter 11. One chapter earlier pictures Judah's enemy, Assyria, as a tall cedar tree that had been chopped down. Assyria, the strong and oppressive empire at the time, had been attacked and defeated or chopped down by the rising nation of Babylon and Judah rightly feared that they were next. The people of Judah had been disobedient to God's call to be a witness for who God is and a blessing to the surrounding world. And instead of being faithful to keep the godly festivals and be generous with their money and be a witness to the character of God, they had built altars to other gods. They didn't care for the poor, and they didn't want to change. They had become rotten to the core. And they were not repentant. They covered their sin. They sought protection in other nations and not God. They were rotten to the core, and they would be chopped down. Here Judah is a small nation who bore the name of the people of God. They had the temple of God. They had the law and the prophets. They had all they needed to follow God. But they rebelled. And by this time, they had become rotten rotten to the core. God's prophets had warned them of judgment to come if they didn't turn from their wicked ways, that God was going to use Babylon to chop them down using that same imagery, and they knew it was coming. 
But God had made promises that he was going to keep. Promises to Eve in the garden. Promises to Abraham, as he called him in the wilderness. He made a promise to Judah and to David. And God always keeps his promises. So Judah, rotten to the core, was going to be chopped down by Babylon as judgment of God and left as a stump. And this would be the end of Judah. But God leaves them hope for the future. And as our passage opens up, he says, there, will come, there shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse. Jesse's the father of King David. So there shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse. A shoot, a little twig, a small sign of life will come from this dead hunk of wood. And this shoot would bear fruit in ways that unfaithful Judah had never done. This little sprig was going to become a great leader who would rule in righteousness and would usher in a time of peace like the world has never known. Now, it's important to understand how this news would have landed on them. The, the worldview of the people in the ancient Near East was a, a communal uh, worldview where legacy and family lineage was much more important than it is to us today. Uh, for me, when I die, my impact on the world will end. Unless I've written a, a popular book or my children carry on my, my uh, purposes for one generation, but after a generation, my impact ends. But to the people, to Judah, the future of their people and their legacy meant so much more to them than it does to us today. So this news that there would come forth a, a, a shoot, a, a small sign of life from a dead hunk, is glorious good news. Someone is coming from this family, from that stump, and he's going to be a great leader of a glorious era. This is not the only time that that Savior is referenced, even in the book of Isaiah. A few chapters earlier, as Judah's king Ahaz is fearing a new alliance, so Israel to the north had made an alliance with Assyria, the, the, the worst oppressive people of the time. Israel had made an alliance with Assyria to attack Judah. And King Ahaz was fearing that new alliance who had teamed up to attack them. Well, the prophet Isaiah says, you don't need to fear them. Their plans are not going to work out, and they're both going to be destroyed. And he says, this will be a sign to you. The virgin will be with child and shall call his name Emmanuel. And before he is old enough to eat curds, the two kings that you fear will be destroyed. Later, speaking of this child, Isaiah says, For unto us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulders. And his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there shall be no end. Those are familiar passages. Well, in that day, there was a son born to them named Emmanuel. While he was growing up, Assyria had turned on Israel. They formed an alliance, but Assyria turned on Israel and destroyed them, completely conquered them and absorbed them into their society. Then Babylon attacked Assyria and destroyed them. And before, before Emmanuel had grown up, before he was old enough to eat curds, the two kings that Ahaz was afraid of were destroyed. 
just as God had promised. Sadly, this display of God's grace and power didn't cause Judah's leaders to repent after they were saved from Assyria. But they continued in their unfaithfulness, and they were overtaken years later by Babylon. A shoot from the stump of Jesse. We're going to fast forward 700 years. And the Jewish people are in their land, but they're occupied by the oppressive Roman Empire. They're occupied by the oppressive Roman Empire. And a young woman from the line of David, from the tribe of Judah, a child of Jacob, of Abraham, of Eve, is pregnant. And she's not married. And she's very poor. And she's away from her hometown. A sad state to be in. She begins to go into labor, but has nowhere to stay. So she sleeps in a barn with animals. When she gives birth, they have nowhere to put the child, so they lay him in a feeding trough. We know that as a manger. Manger, manger, feeding. They put him in a feed bowl where they put the animal slop. That's the stump of Jesse. The Gospel of Matthew records this scene and tells us this is to fulfill what was written. The virgin will be with child and shall bear a son. And they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. Now it's so interesting that as the original prophecy was so clearly fulfilled in Isaiah's time with the child Emmanuel, as I mentioned earlier, the, late, the later part of the prophecy, that he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, and the increase of his government and peace shall never end. Well, that wasn't true of Emmanuel back then, but it was to have a later and more complete fulfillment. And we have seen him born in a stable in Israel. In this humble state comes a child, a little green shoot, one of whom the prophets have spoken so gloriously. He would bear good fruit. He would rule the world in righteousness. He would usher in a time of peace like the world has never known. And our passage this morning says of this little shoot, the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him. <clears throat> so this little boy is named Jesus, which means Jehovah saves. And he goes to the temple and he opens the scroll and he says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. And he says, today, this prophecy is fulfilled in your hearing. And they marvel. As he gets baptized by John the Baptist, he comes out of the water and the Holy Spirit of God descends upon him like a dove. And God the Father says, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. A little shoot from the stump of Jesse will become a great king by the Spirit of God. But what would this king's rule look like? When the disciples first hear of Jesus and learn what he was doing, they were amazed. And they said things like, we have found the Messiah. They said, you are the son of God, the king of Israel. They knew that, God was, that Jesus was bringing the kingdom of God. 
And yet one day, the disciples are jostling among themselves about which of them is going to be the greatest in this new kingdom that Jesus was going to bring. And he rebukes them and says, you have it all wrong. That's not the kind of kingdom that, that I'm bringing. And he says, you know that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them. And their great ones exercise authority over them. But it shall not be so among you. Uh, but whoever would be great among you must be your servant. And whoever would be first among you must, be slave to, must become slave to all. For even the Son of Man, and that's a prophetic reference to the, the Savior who was to come. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his, li to give his life as a ransom for many. A local teacher asked Jesus what he thought was the greatest commandment. So they had 10 commandments, and they had over 300 laws and, and rules to follow. So he wondered what this new kingdom was going to be about. And Jesus replied, the greatest commandment is this, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the second is like it, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. And he went on and he said, all the, law and the pro all the law and all the prophets hang on these two commandments. So this new kingdom was going to be a, a kingdom of love, where God was to be our first love. He is our leader. He is our provider. It's not our skills. He is our protector. It's not our alliances or our weapons or our military. He is our shepherd. He is our guide. And he sets the rules. We're to love him with all that we are. And we're to love our neighbor as ourself. His followers were taught that we are to bear one another's burdens. We're to carry our own load, but we're to bear one another's burdens. He said, it's more blessed to give than to receive. And when you do your good deeds, don't let your right hand know what your left hand is doing. And your heavenly Father, who sees in secret, will reward you. The early, church community, the early church was a community who sought to do this. The book of Acts tells us uh, that people, tells us, sorry, the book of Acts shows us people whose lives have been changed by Jesus. It says they devoted themselves to the apostles' teachings about Jesus and to the fellowship, that they broke bread together, meaning they celebrated communion and they shared meals, um, and that they were all committed to the well-being of those around them. They sold possessions in order to provide for the needs of others. They received their, their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. They showed people what God was like, as Judah had failed to do years before. And it says, And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. What a picture. While ushering in this new way of life, Jesus continually demonstrated his power over the natural world and the devil, the original tempter who brought sin into the world. He turned water into wine. He calmed the storm with his voice. And he raised people from the dead. He resisted the devil's temptations. He cast out demons. And in his death and resurrection, broke the power of sin and death in the world. The curse, uh, the curse that sin and the devil had brought into the world. And on numerous occasions, 
Jesus says that after he leaves, he would come again. That he, he, will, he will return to finally conquer the enemy and to establish his full kingdom. Our passage today ends by saying, In that day, the root of Jesse, who shall stand as a signal for the people, of him the nations shall inquire, and his resting place shall be glorious. Two things I want you to notice in that passage. First, the small shoot that sprung up in verse 1 has now become the root, the strong base of all that will come afterwards. And he is a signal calling people of all nations to come and find rest in him. The Apostle Paul quotes this passage in Romans 15 as he's pointing out that salvation is for all people groups, not just the Jews who had been the original people of God. But God was going to use this descendant of King David, of Jesse, of Judah, of Jacob, of Abraham, and of Eve to offer salvation and righteousness and peace to the nations. God was going to keep his promises. And Jesus, after his resurrection, before he goes back to heaven, tells his disciples to go and make disciples of all nations, helping the people to follow Jesus. And that includes you, and that includes me. So his call today to you and to me is this. Be still and know that I am God. It's Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. And lastly, he says, I have said these things to you, that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. What a promise. God keeps his promises. So this Advent season, come and let's find Jesus together. Let's find his peace. Let me pray. Lord, would you take this message, would you take these scriptures and these promises and impress them on our hearts? God, may we believe your promises. May we trust in you. And God, may we find your peace. May we have hope. May we find Jesus. It's in his name that we pray. Amen.